It's RBA Day today. We'll look at what to expect. The UK expects their new Prime Minister to do something about their worsening cost of living crisis. But in the meantime, the pound got lower. European gas got higher over the Nord Stream closure. And the euro also reaching a multi-year low. And OPEC Plus is cutting production. But will it really make much difference? Well, we did see a jump in oil prices today. It's Tuesday, the 6th of September, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, stocks in the U.S. went nowhere overnight on Monday because, uh, well, the markets went open because it was Labor Day, of course. But in Europe, we've seen a 2.2% fall in the DAX and 1.5% off the Eurostoxx 50. The FTSE 100 up ever so slightly. The U.S. dollar is up a quarter percent on the DXY. The euro is down a quarter percent. The Aussie dollar is down about 0.15%. The pound, interestingly, is up ever so slightly. The bond market's closed in the U.S. as well. But in the U.K., 10-year gilts are up two basis points. Two-year yields are up 10 basis points, up over 3.2%, the highest since 2008. German 10-year bonds are up 4 basis points, but an 11-point rise in Italian yields and 10 for Greece. Oil prices are up today. We'll explain why in just a moment. A 2.9% rise in Brent, up towards 96 a barrel. WTI is up 2.2%. Dutch gas futures did get up over 280 euros, back down to 240 now. They were up over 340 euros a couple of weeks ago, of course, but similarly below 100 a few months ago. Uh, they're certainly not coming down far, are they? Uh, let's go over some of those moves in just a moment with NAB's Ray Atrial. First, though, a look at what will come out of the RBA meeting today. Here's NAB's Ivan Cahoon. And we are expecting another big one, not a 75 basis point rise, but 50 seems to be on the cards again, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, certainly that's what's universally expected, the fourth consecutive 50 basis point increase. Um, 75 or 25 would definitely be a surprise. Um, this will be the fastest move in rates since late 1994. Um, so, you know, then rates were a bit higher. They were at 475 and debt was a lot lower. So yeah. uh, it's pretty aggressive. But that's what's happening all around the world. Well, and that high debt level with these rising rates, I mean, no wonder this is having quite an impact on the housing market. I mean, more so in Australia than many other parts of the world. Yeah, look, it's interesting because I think many of the banks haven't really, they've adjusted the interest rate you pay, but probably haven't really adjusted the overall repayment rate. That tends to happen with a bit of a lag, and it's probably one of the reasons that there are lags between interest rate movements and uh, and impacts on the economy. Certainly in the housing turnover market, um, things are, have moderated. Uh, prices are beginning to fall. Auction clearance rates are down. Um, but there's still a big um, pipeline of work in the construction uh, market, and we're seeing that also in the US, I think, mm. where approvals to uh, to to build or permits haven't actually fallen as much as you would have thought but but borrowing has so that there are signs that housing which did very well out of super low rates is uh, is going to be soft yeah so it's this resilience isn't it that we're seeing i mean all around the world and you know that raises the question about how far if central banks believe this is the way forward how mm-hmm. how high are they going to have to go and i wonder what the answer to that question is for australia because look at retail sales last week showed that demand isn't really slowing that much just yet not enough to rein in inflation anyway so uh, i mean how how far will the rba have to go well i think firstly it's a bit hard to 
I mean, the resilience question is is a complicated one because retail sales, we don't know how much of it was prices and how much of it was volumes. And the the month before was pretty soft. So mm. it could all be actually in inflation uh, over the two months. Uh, and then in a lot of um, parts of the economy, as we know, there's backlogs of orders. Um, so... The actual demand, what we're trying to look at is new orders um, going forward. So, and with those lags there. So, I think the resilience question is is still out there. How high is the RBA going to go? We're saying 285 by the end of the year, which is this 50 basis points tomorrow and another 225s. Then they'll be mildly restrictive. Uh, we think that will have a reasonable impact um, as it actually comes through into repayments. And then we'll we'll sit back and, and have a look for a while, we think the mm. bank should, and then maybe come back in February and, and see how the economy is holding up to that very rapid move. Well, I wonder if that's how Governor Lowe sees it. He's going to be talking about uh, inflation and the monetary policy framework. That's the title of a, a talk he's giving on Thursday. So um, a lot of eyes are going to be on ears are going to be on that, obviously. Absolutely. And that um, talk is actually um, the Annika Foundation speech, uh, which uh, NAB proudly sponsors. Uh, it raises mm-hmm. money into... Uh, for research into adolescent depression and suicide. Uh, so it's a very worthy uh, cause. Uh, if you get on the Australian Business Economist website, you can sign up to the webinar free of charge, but hopefully make a small donation. And absolutely, uh, we everyone will be waiting to see if there's any hints that they may slow the pace of rate increases, uh, when that might be. Uh, or whether they will take a pause at some stage. I think he'll still play a pretty straight bat. It will be like the messages coming out of Jackson Hole that central banks will do whatever it takes and they will be guided by uh, the data, but they will also be alert that there are lags in uh, in mon- monetary policy and probably that Australia isn't quite as uh, elevated inflation or wages as mm. other parts of the world just yet. Yeah, well, let's talk about some of those other parts of the world. They, they, they make that booking for the Annika Foundation in in about 10 minutes when we, we finish the podcast, because let's go to uh, Ray Attrell, also in Sydney this morning. Uh, we saw gas prices did a leap up on Monday after the, uh, the Nord Stream pipeline didn't reopen. We also saw the euro fall to a 20-year low, but then that all sort of bounced back. Gas prices have come back up again, uh, uh, back down again, I should say, uh, around 240 now, uh, which is where it's been spending quite a bit of time lately. And the euro has sort of recovered a bit as well. Yeah, morning, Phil. But uh, certainly, you know, when I went to bed, we had the news of the 30% jump at the open. um, And I'm still trying to get Mm. my head around why that fall has been reduced to what I think 17%, hasn't it, by the uh, the close for the Mm. European, uh, the Dutch benchmark, at least. So it has come back a little bit. But um, you know, and perhaps not surprising, typical sort of knee-jerk move in, you know, with a very one-way market, I guess, at the open. Um, 17% is still an enormous number. Um, and I think that, yeah. you know, and, and surrounding that, we've got the surprise news that OPEC has actually agreed um, to trim output from October by 100,000 barrels a day. There was speculation ahead of time, obviously sparked by Saudi Arabia, that that might be a response to the fall in crude oil prices. But I think the consensus was that, you know, they might hold that sort of stick over the market, um, but not actually agree to deliver it. But from October, they're going to reduce the increase that we had in September and 
And um, I've just seen comments from the EU's Joseph Borrell saying that the Iran nuclear talks are diverging rather than converging. So to some extent, weakness in crude prices has been based on optimism that there would be an early deal to bring, which would bring over a million barrels of Iranian crude back on the market, but uh, but not so, it seems. Right, so that's why oil prices have gone up a reasonable amount today. And yet, uh, you know, that and Iran perhaps more than anything, because that, that 100,000 barrels a day from, from next month, I mean, that's really reversing the increase that kicked off this month. Uh, and it's, it, you know, it's it's not a lot, is it? 100,000? It's about 0.1% of global d- demand. Is it actually going to make that much difference? Well, um, probably not, no. But it, from a signalling point of view, it does, doesn't it? Because, you know, anyone mm. thinking that, uh, you know, oil price, because of the amount of so-called demand destruction that a weaker global economy is going to bring about, um, it's pretty clear here that uh, that OPEC stands ready to, to reduce supply if demand does indeed fall. So it certainly plays to the view of our uh, commodities uh, experts that um, if you think we're going to see a dramatic decline in oil prices any time in the next uh, six months to 12 months, you're uh, you're probably sadly mistaken. Yeah, and that pipeline, I mean, it's not going to reopen in a hurry. The FT is reporting today that Dmitry Peskov, who's Russian, uh, Vladimir Putin's spokesman, uh, basically said gas supplies to Europe would not resume in full until the collective West lift sanctions against Moscow. We know that's not going to happen in Harry. No, absolutely. And I just suppose the one point there is that it does sort of, you know, <laughs> finally destroys any pretense that there are technical reasons why mm. Nord Stream 1 cannot reopen. It's now explicitly uh, while sanctions exist and, uh, yeah. you know, you're not getting any gas, basically. So, uh, so uh, no yeah. real surprise, I think. So no surprise then that we saw the euro fall a bit today, but also uh, the uh, the PMIs for the euro area and for Germany, in both cases, the final number was down on the earlier read. Uh, the services PMI for the euro area has actually moved below 50 now, from 51.2 It's uh, in July. Uh, I think it's what in, in, in around 49.6 or something, isn't it now? Yeah, I'm just looking at the numbers here. So the um, the, the final so final eurozone services, which was 50.2 in the preliminary, is now sub 50, 49.8. The composite 49.2 down to 48.9, led by Germany. Um, so Germany services 48.2 uh, was down to 47.7, and the composite there sub 57 as well. Yeah, and, and interesting that you know these have been revised. That seems to be happening quite a bit lately. And in the UK case, the, the services PMI that was 50.9 in the last read, that's been revised down to 49.6. That is quite a big revision. No, it is actually. And uh, remember, we were remarking just a week or two ago that the UK was uh, was the outlier in terms of uh, mm. having PMIs, you know, above fifty. So um, you know, even that seems to be uh, to be revised away now. Anyway, so you've pretty much got the uh, you know the the global developed economy showing numbers sub fifty. The contrast, which will probably see tonight from the US services yes. ISM um, is expected to fall, but it's still expected to remain above 55. So I think the contrast between uh, performance of the US versus the re- much of the rest of the world is going to be uh, ever more stark, I think, once we get those numbers mm. tonight. Yeah, well, those ISM services were 56.7, weren't they, in July? So, you know, they can come down a bit, but still be in positive territory. But doesn't that mean that we are going to see you know, the, the, the problem that this is creating, there's just this strengthening US dollar, which is pulling everything else down. 
Absolutely. So I've just seen the number for the DXY index, um, you know, yeah. very Eurocentric, admittedly, but we have got new lows for the euro. And that index is 109.8 is the current number that I have, which is a new 20 mm. year plus high. Um, you know, so it has been the euro. The yen has, has lost a little bit more ground and um, and the Aussie dollar has been back uh, below 68 cents. So 67.73 is the low that we've seen in the wholesale markets overnight. So it is the case of, of US dollar strength. And you have to say, um, you know, it's very hard not to see it as, as fundamentally justified here, uh, notwithstanding the fact that this means that the overvaluation, if you like, of, of the currency on broad sort of fundamental metrics is, is becoming more extreme, but it was going to need a catalyst to uh, to bring about that reversal at the moment. It's very hard to see what that might be. And I might, be, I might have been just a week early saying that uh, the pound was going back to where uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood, uh, taking us into the Pleasure Dome days, <laughs> because, I mean, the, the Wall Street Journal, so the pound got down to uh, $1.1443 today. Uh, now I, I think it got down to dollar fourteen twelve in in March twenty twenty. Although the Wall Street Journal is reporting today that no, this is the lowest since nineteen eighty five, which is you know when Frankie goes Hollywood was around. So I mean, anyway, whichever way, it's getting weaker. We also saw ten uh, year bond yields up eight basis points, pushing it over three percent for the first time in eight years. But since then, the the pound has bounced back a little. Yields have fallen back down as well. Uh, but I mean, yeah, it's going to get lower, isn't it? And 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 in amongst all of this, uh, Liz Truss, the new Prime Minister of Great Britain, which uh, you know she is not uh, an enormously confident character and not an enormous amount of confidence that she's going to deliver. So there's a good, certainly, I mean, she may be a terrific Prime Minister, but certainly at this stage, just a huge amount of uncertainty. No, absolutely, and uh, as I say, a, a short acceptance speech, sort of long on long on rhetoric, um, but mm. obviously absolutely light on on details about how she's going to deal with the precisely how she plans to deal with the energy crisis, um, but still pretty strident, saying you know tax cuts are they going to be the hallmark of uh, of what is going to be a conservative or a very conservative government? So. You know that's still sending a few shudders down the spines, probably of the uh, of the Bank of England. That we'll still see a conflict between perhaps the the thrust of fiscal policy. If we do see significant unwinding of uh, of tax cuts and uh, large amounts of, uh, of of cash being splashed, trying to hold um, energy prices down. Not that that latter is not yeah. going to well, be well. Not unwinding totally- of tax cuts, unwinding of tax rises. She wants to bring tax. Uh- tax down again. That's which, right, uh, that's right. But the, the net result of that is going to be whether fiscal policy is is outright contractionary or not, is going to be less contractionary. So it is not going to mm. be working with the grain of monetary policy as much as it otherwise would. And I've seen that Catherine Mann from the Bank of England, um, you know, has been out with a pretty hawkish speech overnight and not dismissing um, possible consideration of a 75 basis point uh, next uh, mm-hmm. Bank of England rate rise. So let's see what the ECB delivers. Um, so uh, talking to Gavin yesterday, his, his view is that um, 75 is looking more likely than 50 when they hand down that decision on, on Thursday. And uh, yeah. who knows whether the Bank of England will do will do likewise when it next makes. Right. Now, you mentioned the ISM numbers. That's probably the the biggest number that's out today from, from the United States. Uh, we, of course, already talked about the RBA today as well. But we also get Australia's current account uh, numbers, the surplus. Uh, so... Uh, uh, this is just ahead of the RBA today. Uh, 
that, of course, is going to impact on the GDP number that we're getting on Wednesday. Well, it is. But, uh, I mean, the number there is is what the the contribution of net exports is to GDP, and it is yeah. going to be a healthy positive, um, both NAB and the market consensus, as for a 0.9% contribution. So if you think that... Uh, you know, GDP is expected to be around a three quarters of a percent up when it's reported tomorrow. And obviously, the, uh, you know, the trade side of the equation is going to be a major contributor to that. We should see a current account surplus, I think, north of 20 billion uh, Aussie dollars. But it's that sort of share of GDP and net exports that uh, that will be the market mover and potentially see some last minute revisions to, uh, to GDP forecasts. But uh, no doubt the uh, confirmation of the export sector is the the brightest spot in the Australian economy, economic landscape at the moment. Well, so the, the yeah, the Australia certainly faring better than most. The US is as well. It's it's Europe. It's just uh, going from bad to worse, isn't it? We'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Ray. Well, thanks, Phil. And uh, we'll trace what happens next on tomorrow morning's edition of the Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Uh, of course, the US back open tomorrow as well. That'll add another dimension to it all. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. <laughs> 